Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Podcast, episode 82. I'm Chris Webster, and on today's show, we talk about maritime archaeology in the Great Lakes of the United States. Let's dig a little deeper. Everybody, this is a short recording that Bill White from the CRM Archaeology Podcast and I did at the 2020 Society for Historical and Underwater Archaeology meetings in Boston, Massachusetts. Enjoy. All right, this is Chris Webster, and I'm in the closing down exhibit hall or book room of the Society for Historical Archaeology uh, meetings in Boston, Massachusetts, 2020. And I'm sitting here with Stephanie Gondula, and actually Bill White of the Sierra Mark podcast came by. Bill, how's it going? Yeah, I came by to get books, but I think you already bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much cleared out it's here cleared at, the out. Of, at the halfway through Saturday. So anyway, Stephanie is a maritime archaeologist. And Stephanie, why don't you start by just telling us, what, is, what does that mean? What do you, what do you mean maritime archaeologist? Underwater, boats? Come on, what is it? Yes, all of the above. So <laughs> we use maritime um, instead of just underwater because maritime does encompass anything that has to do with our underwater environment, really. So it can be shore-based shipwrecks. It can be shore-based lighthouses, of course, um, fishing history. So anything that really has to do with maritime. Okay. And you work for, it says on your business card here, Mm -hmm. the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary and Great Lakes Maritime Heritage Center. What kind of resources do you guys have out there? That's a mouthful, isn't it? Yes. So um, I am with, I'm the research coordinator actually at Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary based in Alpena, Michigan. And that is part of the National Marine Sanctuary System um, with NOAA. So NOAA, another big acronym there, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So they have many, many offices. They have the National Weather Service. um, um, They have, um, of course, fisheries. But then there's another branch that is um, National Ocean Service. And under that branch is National marine sanctuaries. There are 14 national marine sanctuaries across the whole U.S. Okay. And we are, Thunder Bay is the only one in freshwater for now. We're the mm. only one in freshwater. Nice. What kind of resources are at the sanctuary? What, what are the kind of things you guys either look for and record or, or have present? So I did say maritime encompasses all things, you know, water, <laughs> but we are mainly focused on shipwrecks. Um, we yeah. are charged with protecting 4,300 square miles of northwestern Lake Huron. And um, within that 4,300 square miles, we have found 99 shipwrecks. Wow. And, yeah. A lot That's of crazy. shipwrecks. Yeah. 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 And they're really, really varied. Um, they're, some are super shallow. Some are super deep. We've got old wooden schooners. We have huge steel freighters. 
most of them very, very intact because of the cold, fresh water. Uh, so the sanctuary is out in Lake Huron, but our headquarters is that other long title, the Great Lakes Maritime Heritage Center in downtown Alpena, Michigan, a uh, small town in northern Michigan. And um, that heritage center is 10,000 square feet of maritime exhibits. So we have a, a big museum there where we do, of course, it's it's you know open to the public. Um, so there's the exhibits, but then we do lots of educational programming there, um, including uh, one of our most popular is probably our marine technology programs mm-hmm. where students, students of all ages can come build ROVs, remotely operated oh, wow. vehicles. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the outreach things. Another big outreach thing we do is coming up in a couple weeks. It is a international film festival where we show ocean and Great Lakes films. So those are the two of the highlights that, that we do. And we also, I guess one of the other big things we do is really encourage people to get out um, into the sanctuary, you know, get into your sanctuary and experience these amazing, um, unique historic sites. Yeah. Sounds amazing. So I guess, you know, there's listeners out there. Well, first of all, I had no idea mm-hmm. that the breadth <laughs> of uh, marine archaeology or marine heritage. I guess maybe can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that? That's a great question because I'm from Montana, and so people always ask me, "Well, how are you an underwater <laughs> yeah, archaeologist?" I, I'm from Idaho, and I have a phobia <laughs> of the ocean. Really? So. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, I was a diver, a scuba diver, before I even knew there was a such a thing as a, a you know maritime archaeologist. So, always loved exploring the underwater world, and my background is in the humanities. And when I saw there was an opportunity to sort of blend history and exploring the underwater world, I thought that's perfect for me. So. Um, I went to school at East Carolina University, mm-hmm. which is one of the main programs in in learning how to be a maritime archaeologist, and I guess the rest is history. And then I've been involved in a number of projects around the world, but enjoy being based in the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. So. Is that in Wilmington? No, it's in Greenville, oh, North Greenville. Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're kind of the leader in underwater archaeology training. I mean, I'd like to think so, but there's also the <laughs> University of West Florida. There's also Texas A&M, yeah. which was one of the uh. first. But ECU has is, is kind of known for like one of the places that you're going to get a job. Yeah. Like they really mm-hmm. great hands-on training. There's awesome field schools. I mean, some of my field schools were in, you know, black water rivers with yeah. alligators and shipwrecks. If you, you know, if you have a phobia of the ocean, how, how would you feel about diving in a, in a zero visibility muddy river? <laughs> it's all right. I just overcome it, right? Right. <laughs> it's right. it's right. okay to be afraid. What are you going to do with that, though, right. at the end of the day? That's, That's right. what matters. So I, I'm curious, as both Bill and I were both have background training in CRM archaeology, I was just thinking when you said, you know, these, what, 4,300 square miles mm-hmm. of marine area, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and all these shipwrecks, most shipwrecks, correct me if I'm wrong, are probably also burial sites. Oh, excellent observation. Right. So, yes, yeah, so all those shipwrecks that we have, 99 of them, some of them, I wouldn't say most, though, but some of them people did indeed go down. Yeah. Um, oh, and people so usually get off then? Well, um, yeah. Or they're, or they're dinghy Titanic. somewhere else yeah. underwater. That's right. You've seen Titanic. Yeah. Well, not everybody. That's right. Otherwise, there wouldn't be anyone to tell the story. That's, That's exactly right. right. So a lot of people were rescued. There's a whole mm-hmm. fascinating history with the um, life-saving stations, which uh, became lighthouses and became the Coast Guard eventually. Sure. Um, but there's an, um, dozens of life-saving stations around the Great Lakes 
antiques, historic, beautiful historic sites. And those folks would be the ones, it's a, a stormy, stormy, terrifying night. Your ship is wow. sinking. They would row out and go save people. Wow. So that's how people got saved. Um, other ships. So where we are in the Great Lakes, um, you know, people often ask, well, why are there so many shipwrecks there? And one of the reasons is a high traffic area where we're at. So mm-hmm. any of those commercial vessels traveling on the Great Lakes has to pass by where we are. Mm-hmm. And so there'd be lots of collisions. So oh. if you run into your buddy's ship, you're like, sorry, buddy, your, <laughs> your ship oh, is sinking, yeah. oh. but hop on. And so they would end up saving people that way. Wow. And then another reason why there's not a lot of burial sites really as the, on the shipwrecks is because many of the wrecks were just abandoned. Oh, okay. So like a junkyard for your car. Sure. You sure. Know? So they would just, they'd out you know, last their use and um, technology, you know, improving very fast. We went from sail to steam yeah. in, in the time that, that our shipwrecks really cover the story that we tell. And so, you know, the new technology comes out and you're like, well, that ship isn't useful for me anymore. It's amazing how people treat water, isn't it? It's kind of like the desert because people will dump yeah. anything out of the yeah. desert. Mm-hmm. And I've got my boat down in a slip in Pittsburgh, California, in what they call the Delta, which mm-hmm. is leading from San Francisco Bay on up to Sacramento, which is all the river systems come down. And there's thousands of square miles or thousands of linear miles of water out there. And there are just boats abandoned everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like oh. you just go up over these river channels and stuff, and there's just like old boats half sunk in the mud yeah. just sitting there. And yeah. there's wrecks that are everywhere, which I don't think were wrecks. I think you're right. They were probably just abandoned boats on yeah. the shore. Yeah. And but but they're they're wrecks now because there's not much left and it was mm-hmm. done eighty years ago. Right. You know, so um what are some of the First off, I can't get the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald out of my head, even though I know it was a different lake. <laughs> that was Lake Superior. It's right. still a fascinating story. I know, right? Um, what was the? Uh, what are some of the? I'm still going back to the the burial aspect because okay. I'm curious about that. What are mm-hmm. some of the? I guess laws and regulations around diving those sites mm-hmm. and you know I don't know pulling artifacts, recording, and whatever you're doing. What are some mm-hmm. of those? Great question. So it is illegal in the state of Michigan to disturb any cultural resource on the bottomlands. The state bottomlands are property of the state. So um, it's illegal to disturb a site. It's illegal to remove any artifacts. Now, historically, when in the 50s, 60s, 70s, with the onset of scuba and people being able to go out and see these sites, there were unfortunately a lot of, there was a lot of looting. Sure. So a lot of artifacts ended up in people's garages, ended up in people's living rooms. And that's still the case that the you know mm-hmm. those artifacts are out there. However, the philosophy that the marine sanctuary has really brought to the community has been, you know, the Cousteau quote: "With you know, people will protect what they love." And sure. so, yeah. you know, we we relied on the people to police each other. So, the, like in the dive charter businesses in particular don't want divers taking stuff from the wrecks because then their business is you know not going to be yeah. as good. So it's um. Now we don't really have those issues. A lot of the stuff's already gone. It's it's really minimal, and it is it can be a, a prosecutable offense if you do disturb a shipwreck site. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z E N C A S T R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com and use the code T-A-S. 
Hey everybody, Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. How, how many, uh, in terms of resources, how much remains, I guess, unrecorded or undocumented? Mm, there must that, be a lot. That's a great question. So I said we found, and when I say we've found, the sanctuary itself has not found these. These were um, fishermen and, you know, um, civilian divers out sure. there looking for ships. In fact, my talk yesterday was about citizen science in in documenting the shipwrecks, but also going out and finding them. Yeah. So 99 shipwrecks, and we estimate there's at least that many more out there. We discovered, two, our most recent discoveries were in 2017, two fascinating stories, um, the Ohio and the Choctaw are the mm -hmm. names of the vessels, and uh, they're in 300 feet of water. So wow, wow. most of these wrecks that have not yet been found are in deep water, yeah. so we have to really use marine technology to go out and find them. We don't really dive for them. Our diving limits are about, uh, our team is about 250 feet. So That's still pretty deep, yeah. it's just it's, that. It's, it's gotta be cold, deep. too. Oh, it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's cold. It's cold. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. But uh, they, you know, we say there's no such thing as cold water, only inappropriate gear. So <laughs> I guess we're outfitted pretty well for it. Um, but we're still looking for shipwrecks. That's um, the, one of the main charges that I have in, as the research coordinator is partnering with different institutions, different universities to come out and use their tools to go out and look for shipwrecks. Nice. Man, how cool. It's, yeah. it's really cool. It's, it's a lot of fun. And last year we had what's called an ASV. So I said, you know, the students build the ROVs, mm -hmm. um, the remotely operated vehicles. So an ASV is an autonomous surface vessel. Hmm. And oh. so it's a robot out there searching the waters for shipwrecks. Wow. And so this particular ASV hmm. is um, a bright yellow 12 foot long boat uh, that has a multi-beam sonar attached to the bottom of it. And so we just send it out and it goes and, and documents and maps the seafloor, the lake floor. Wow. And then we look for shipwrecks that way. Do you name them like Elon Musk does? Like, <laughs> why don't you love me? <laughs> <laughs> so this ASV was actually, it's from the University of New Hampshire, um, Center for Coastal and Ocean Management. And they have a great department in ocean science. They named it um, BEN, which ben. stands for oh. um, Bathymetric Explorer and Navigator. I like, I like, I like Ben. Bodie McMahon. 
Boatface Jr. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it sounds like such an interesting career. There are a lot of people who listen that are terrestrial archaeologists. Do you have any advice for folks who are right now doing archaeology that maybe want to get into this? Hmm. So is it possible to just transition from terrestrial archaeology to doing something like this? I, I think it would totally be because it's a lot of, um, I mean, we're just using different tools, really. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, the trowel in the desert and ground penet- penetrating radar sure. that you use. And we're mm-hmm. just using different tools. So it's the same research question design and all of that. So definitely, we like to think it's not a, a separate science. We're just using, we're in a different environment. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. And we have a couple of folks on our team are both terrestrial and, archae- you know, underwater. So mm-hmm. definitely. Cool. So correct me if I'm wrong, but there's probably like post-glacial uh, prehistoric sites that are underwater now. Right. Are you guys have any of those cataloged or do they turn up from scuba charters say, hey, we found this weird thing. Right. Oh, crap. It's prehistoric. Yeah. <laughs> so the answer is yes. So uh, Dr. John O'Shea from the University of Michigan, he was here this weekend and delivering okay. a talk on his topic, which is exactly that. Yeah. Um, right in the middle of Lake Huron. Uh, there is a, a ridge. It's called the Alpena Amberley Ridge. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, actually. And so he has been documenting what they believe is um, ancient uh, hunting grounds. Wow. So this was um, above water. Yeah. You know, Aren't there like hunting fences or something? Well, they're not quite fences, but there are structures that are very similar to... Drive lines. Yes. Buffalo. That's what I was thinking. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there's for the caribou, right? So and it's yeah, still, oh. he's done a lot of ethnographic research That's cool. um, in Alaska where they're still hunting with these these techniques sure. yeah. where they, the drive lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they're not like massive boulders, but no. they are rock, yeah. rock um, placements of rock that guide these animals. Yeah. So that's what that's what he gave a paper on that um, this year okay. as well. So there are those things out there. Cool. It's not just shipwreck. <laughs> yeah. What's your? Uh, I mean, you're a diver, mm-hmm. um, and you're an archaeologist. What's your day to day look like? Like, are, how yeah. how often are you actually diving and underwater and doing stuff? And how much of it is processing? <laughs> that's <laughs> a great research. question. Of course, <laughs> I would like to be underwater more than I am. Sure. But we we do get a lot of diving in. One of our main activities that gets us out on the water is our mooring buoy system Mm -hmm. and that's one of our um, main outreach programs and also one of our main ways of protecting these shipwrecks okay so we maintain mooring buoys on over 40 of the sites and what that does is for divers for snorkelers sailors whatever that wants to go visit the site they can pull up in their little boat and tie up to this mooring buoy and that way then the divers can descend use using the mooring buoy line rather than um dropping anchor and yeah. potentially disturbing the site. Yeah. yeah. So we dragging do, an anchor right through a shipwreck. Yeah. 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 Which has happened. I'm sure. Yeah. So or in the before the mooring buoys, dive charter boats would grapple the wreck to hang oh, out yeah. to find it and hang wow. on and then they dive it. So that obviously can cause a lot of damage. So we get out on the water to do mooring buoys. That's a big part of our work. Remote sensing, like I mentioned. So we'll be out maybe a month of the year out there just mm-hmm. what they call mowing the lawn, going back and forth, oh, mapping yeah. the lake mm-hmm. floor. And then a lot of educational programs we mm-hmm. do. So my that's probably the favorite thing. My favorite thing about my job is that every day is totally different. Yeah. One day cool. I might be diving. One day I might be working with kids. One day I'm doing a presentation at a, a community college. So a lot of outreach. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. You guys got to come visit. Yeah. I know. Exactly. <laughs> I know. 
I'm curious about the mooring buoys. Um, as a as a new boat owner myself, you know, and looking at laws and regulations and stuff, are they just encouraged? Or are there actually regulations in those areas against <laughs> anchoring? I'm just curious. It's how, a great how question. It's enforced. Yeah. yeah. So if there is the regulation is if there is a mooring buoy on a site, you can't anchor. It's illegal okay. to anchor. Okay. Yeah. But what's like the there must be because it's hard to see underwater right. what the distribution of the site is. So right. like how far out from the mooring buoy can somebody anchor? I mean, is that there must be a circumference or something, Dear. right? You know, if there is, I'm not yeah. aware of it. I think it's, you would just know if you're going yeah. to visit the site, yeah. you tie up to the mooring buoy. Right, right. And if you're going to, if you're at a site that doesn't have a mooring buoy, you yeah. use your, you know. Best judgment kind of. Right. Yeah. And your sonar and, and see where the wreck's at and try right. not to hit it, which but, is uh, not great. You know, I would, I'd presume that the ones that don't have a buoy are the ones that are deep anyhow. That's right. right? So. Yeah. Or not very visited. Oh. Right. Also, that's another one. So, and the deeper ones are harder, much more technology and, and stuff to get a deep mooring mm-hmm. buoy placed. And so, um, our deepest one right now is, let's see, I think it's the the Puabic, this, um, which is an amazing shipwreck story, mm-hmm. um, and that's one sixty-five. That's yeah, our right. deepest wow. buoy. Because I can imagine also the the chain or I mean, yeah, whatever wire as the storms come by could go across the wreck too. So the deeper the the deeper the line, right? The yeah. more chain you have that could possibly intersect right. with features and stuff. And that's right. something that we have to think of when we design the systems. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Nice. And then you don't want to put it so far away that the divers get down there, and by the time they're already down there, they can't get mm-hmm. and see the wreck. So yeah, because the visibility general generally is is really quite good. We'll have mm-hmm. like a hundred feet of visibility in the spring. But you're right. If it's too far, you're not going to find the wreck. So if they are a little far, we'll sometimes have um, a jump line. It's called from oh, the mooring okay. buoy. So you go down the mooring buoy and line. And then you can go over. Yeah. 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 I've got a couple questions thinking about the possibility of survivors. Are there research sources that you guys commonly go to, like diaries and journals mm-hmm. and trying to find evidence that there was a shipwreck that's maybe undocumented right now and trying to kind of reverse engineer that and find out where it's at. Is that part of your job at it all? It is. And I want to do that more. Like that's a super yeah. fun part. And there's some amazing um, research collections in the Great Lakes um, and around. Um, Chicago has uh, awesome resources. But we also have um, the th- what we call the Thunder Bay Sanctuary Research Collection. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat Labadee is a maritime historian, and he collected that over decades and decades of doing this kind of work. And it's based and housed in um, the Alpena County Library. Sure. So that's kind of one of our main resources. It has like 80,000 ship documents and ship enrollment records, um, photos, ship plans. And all those things that we'd look to, to to solve the mysteries that are still out there. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of newspaper, because if there's a wrecking, it's going to be a newspaper oh, yeah. report yeah. about it. So a lot of newspaper, um, historical newspaper research. And, and kind of tied to that, how, uh, how important or how prominent, I guess, or how active is the descendant community uh, mm. from people who... You know, shipwrecks were, I mean, people yeah. probably still live in the area that are yeah. related to people who died on shipwrecks or, or were survivors. You know, that's a great question. And I have to admit, it's not very active, but yeah. I don't think it's, I think it could be more. Sure. I think it should be more. Um, yeah. Great story from the shipwreck we discovered in 2017, the Choctaw. And it's a, that was a pretty big news splash because it was, um, People have been looking for it for years, and it mm. was a very um, nearly unique design. There was only three of this type of ship built. It's called a whaleback, wow. semi-whaleback, so it looks kind of funky, like a submarine sort of. Huh. Oh, wow. So this ship goes down um, and in a collision, and the all the folks did survive in that sinking. And Captain Fox, he was the captain. So when we announced the discovery, 
uh, we got an email from this woman who said, my great aunt, her grandfather was the captain, was oh, Captain wow. Fox. No way. And so the great aunt saw it in the newspaper, called her niece and was like, they found the Choctaw. <laughs> wow. And so we had them come visit. And she's like 94 years old. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and she said that she remembers when she was a real little girl, her grandpa telling her about the sinking that he had survived. Wow. Wow. So um, our plan this year, I hope this happens, is to uh, get Aunt Ruth out to the site. <laughs> so it's way out in the middle mm-hmm. of the lake. Um, and we want to do some ROV investigations and more fully document the site, video and, and photography. And it, we would love to have her come out on that expedition. Uh, I yeah, think that feel, it feels just like the Titanic. Yeah, She's going to toss a huge it, diamond it, over. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell the story of the Puabic. Yes, tell us yeah, the story yeah, of the Puabic. Us, please. So Puabic is a Native American word for copper. Uh-huh. And so it, this was the Puabic was a, um, a big passenger uh, steamer big, beautiful ship. And it was August of uh, 1865. So we know what had happened just a few months prior. Civil War had ended. Mm -hmm. So on this vessel was tons and tons, like I think 400 tons of bulk bulk copper in different forms. So a lot of money there, right? And then um, some package freight and then lots of passengers, like wealthy passengers, a lot of immigrants heading west, Mm. you know, to the the new frontier. And then also... um, a lot of Civil War veterans. Sure. So August 9th, 1865, the Puabic steaming along, heading, I think was heading north on Lake Huron, just outside of Thunder Bay. And calm night, beautiful. And it sees its sister ship, the Meteor. They're going to cross paths or they're going to see each other. And often they would, you know, since they didn't have radio back then, a way to communicate would be hollering over the, the rail and maybe they'd pass some mail. And so they're, they're going to cross each other, not cross, but they're passing each other. And for some reason, the, the helmsman of the Puabic veers into oh, wow. the meteor. And within about 20 minutes, the, the Puabic's at the bottom of the lake. Wow. Um, it took over 33 people down with it. Wow. Um, most of the people did get off and get on the meteor. Um, but the, the bow of the meteor dug a 12-foot hole right into the side. Of the oh, and it wow. sunk. So that's 1865, went down with all that copper. So, of course, there were salvage attempts. And think of the diving technology then. So there was, it took until 1917 and many salvage attempts to, to get most of the copper up. And eight divers died throughout those, those <laughs> oh attempts. Gosh, but now crazy. a lot of that copper is uh, in the, our Heritage Center on sure. display. Wow. So. so I think one of my last questions yes. <laughs> is... Uh, is regarding uh, it's interesting to me that you mentioned that all the bottomland stuff is owned by the state mm-hmm. in CRM archaeology terrestrial CRM archaeology typically unless it meets one of the national register criteria in another way like the 9-11 site is instantly a national historic site right but typically it has to be 50 years old or older mm-hmm. so if a ship wrecked yesterday and it's on the bottom of the lake. Does that now property the state, or is there a time frame there? That's a great question because that is somebody's ship, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So they they it, it's not. I don't I don't have a good handle on that. <laughs> really, <laughs> I do know that if that was like if you're out there fishing yeah. and your boat sinks, that's still your boat. Yeah. Sure. And I think you're actually I think the you're liable to you know you have to get it out, out yeah. of the off of the state bottomlands. Huh. Um. So. But at some point it becomes historic. At some, at some point it becomes historic. <laughs> it might be that's after, true. You know. I think it's you or 50 years or yeah. I think it is 50 if you years. Get your Just like in, insurance yeah. paid back that it's a total yeah. loss then right. Yeah. Yeah, cuz then if it's not yours anymore then the insurance they might the insurance company might be interested in 
seeing if it's worth salvaging to sure. get. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because then the yeah. insurance company, after they've paid out, right. then they, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's where a lot of, you guys probably know this, a lot of ship, you know, historical research is with the, you know, Lloyds oh, of sure. London and, and the insurance oh, I didn't know companies. That. I, yeah. didn't know that. I didn't know I didn't think about yeah. that, but that makes total sense because yeah. they want their money back. Right. Because a lot of these ships are owned by somebody who is not on the ship, probably. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And also, I wouldn't know that because the sites I work on are uh. valuable to me only. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Bill, do you have anything else? No. This okay. is great. I learned yeah. a lot. I learned a lot. Well, where can, where can people go to find out more about what you guys do? They can go to thunderbay.net. Noah, so that's N-O-A-A dot gov. Okay. okay. Check us out there and come visit. You guys, I'll take you diving if you come up to Thunder Bay. I Sounds love the good. idea. Sounds good. And we'll leave that link in the show notes. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for yeah, having me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can provide feedback using the contact button on the right side of the website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeology. Or you can email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Please like and share the show wherever you saw it so more people can have a chance to listen and learn. Send us show suggestions and follow ArcPodNet on Twitter and Instagram. This show was produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network. Opinions are solely those of the hosts and guests of the show. However, the APN stands by their hosts. Special thanks to the band Sea Hero for letting us use their song, I Wish You'd Look. Check out their albums on Bandcamp at seahero.bandcamp.com. Check out our next episode in two weeks. And in the meantime, keep learning keep discovering new things, and keep listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Have an awesome day. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.